But what's interesting about credit card back then is that concept of getting your free credit report was, didn't exist. They, you didn't get a score. You only got reports and you had to go to the, the bureaus and request it and you get it once a year. And what Credit Karma's innovation was, is we're going to buy it for you. We're going to pay TransUnion. We're going to make a deal with the Experian and we're going to access it and we're going to pay them. And that's our core product. So you're going to come to us to get something you can't get elsewhere. But in this process, we'll learn a lot about you. And ultimately, again, when Credit Karma started, all they were trying to do was flip leads. They were trying to say, oh, you want, this is your credit score. You can get a mortgage and we'll refer you over to this lender. You can get a new credit card, but we'll refer you over to this new, this credit card. Then they, they added on other financial products to the point where anything, and they know everything about you. And that's of course why Intuit bought them. So, so that's fascinating. I'm John Wright, and you're listening to Affiliate BI, the business intelligence and affiliate marketing podcast brought to you by StatsDrone. Welcome to the Affiliate BI podcast. Today, we're talking with Eli Schwartz, who is the author of Product-Led SEO. It's a book I just devoured recently. Highly recommend it. It's going to change your outlook on SEO, in my opinion. Uh, some of his clients include Coinbase, WordPress, Automatic, Handshake, Mixed panel, G2, and Seeking Alpha, which is quite the, quite the lineup. And he's also the co-host of the Contra Contrarian Marketing Podcast. Uh, Eli, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, John. And kind of like maybe a standard question of like, I, I like asking people how they got started into SEO. So I want to know, like, what was your accidental story? I was working actually in affiliate marketing. So it's very appropriate for this podcast. So I, I'm sure some of your listeners will be familiar with the company Quinn Street. So I, I moved out to Silicon Valley right after I finished school and I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I figured if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to come to Silicon Valley where entrepreneurship is, is in everyone's blood. It's in the air. And I took the first job I got, which was at Quinn Street. It was a, a business development job. That was my title. And my, my job was to work with affiliates. So I was essentially an affiliate manager, but my job was to bring in more affiliates and then to upsell them and to, to generate as much revenue as possible with them for the benefits of the clients on the other side. And that is, that was my, my introduction to everything digital marketing. So I worked with some of the smartest people that was, you know, back in 2006, it was internet was a lot easier. There was no real social media. There was uh, PPC marketing was you bid on words. Essentially there was less algorithms. SEO, very, very gameable at the time. They thought they had advanced algorithms, but if we look back all these years, those are not advanced algorithms whatsoever. So I was working with these really smart affiliates and they had amazing ideas on how to generate traffic. And that is how I got into it. I was like, why am I sitting in this seat when I could be sitting in their seat, generating significantly more revenue, significantly more income and doing something that frankly was interesting. And, and one quick thing on, on affiliate marketing and, and some of my the affiliates I worked with, I worked with this guy. So I was there in 2006, which I was working with mortgages and there was an early kind of in, getting ready for an implosion of the subprime bubble. And I was working with affiliates that were driving the worst leads ever. Was, to me, it was, I joined and they're like, here's our pricing structure. And you know, it's for all of Every, all the affiliates out there, you should always know your affiliates are given specific prices and then they want to undercut you. So they're like, here's the, the maximum price we'll pay for this lead because that's where our clients pay us. Try to get it for less. We're, we want to make profit here. So we pay the most money for the worst lead. For the worst credit, we pay the most money. And for the best leads, for excellent credit on mortgage, we paid a couple dollars. 
And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, it doesn't have to make sense. This is the way it works. And then of course I was there in 2008 and watched the whole thing flop. And you know, our clients went out of business country wise, big client, they all, they disappeared. They stopped buying leads. But anyways, one of my clients that I was working with was a guy who had this mortgage site. He was using SEO and using paid marketing to generate mortgage leads. And he ended up pivoting his business into Credit Karma. So the CEO of Credit Karma was my affiliate driving mortgage leads using the same tactics any of the other affiliates were. So he, that he, you know, not, this is not SEO, wasn't an SEO thing, but it was like, it gave me an early insight into like, ultimately Credit Karma was an affiliate site, a lead generation site. He found a way to build a product around exactly what he was trying to do, which is generate more leads. So I thought that was very interesting. But that, that's, that was my introduction to digital marketing. I learned it from the best. I learned it from affiliates. Thing that I think some people don't realize that sites like Credit Karma are actually affiliate sites. And um, it's ironic that, you know, your book is product-led SEO. And I've got a couple of questions that talk about like what makes for a company to build a product. And it's um, like, I think it's an interesting insight that, you know, Credit Karma is product first and then the SEO becomes a side benefit where maybe they're not necessarily ranking for those core like credit card comparison keywords, but it, service that they just drive immense traffic and value. Exactly. I mean, what was interesting about Credit Karma back then, I, I have another note on Credit Karma that's kind of interesting for on SEO. What was interesting about Credit Karma back then is that concept of getting your free credit report was, didn't exist. That You didn't get a score. You only got reports and you had to go to the, the bureaus and request it and you get it once a year. And what Credit Karma's innovation was, is we're going to buy it for you. We're going to pay TransUnion we're going to cut it, make a deal with the Experian and we're going to access it and we're going to pay them. And that's our core product. So you're going to come to us to get something you can't get elsewhere. But in this process, we'll learn a lot about you. And ultimately, again, when Credit Karma started, all they were trying to do was flip leads. They were trying to say, oh, you want, this is your credit score. You can get a mortgage and we'll refer you over to this lender. You can get a new credit card, we'll refer you over to this new, this credit card. Then they, they added on other financial products to the point where anything, and they know everything about you. And that's of course why Intuit bought them. So, so that's fascinating. It's like Credit Karma was just looking for an edge and a product to generate more leads. The, the note about SEO, which is kind of interesting, which is, so Credit Karma came up with this concept of buying people's credit reports and buying this data to share it back. So then you could generate leads with them. I was, I was at a conference and I met a product manager from Capital One and Every bank imitated this concept. They started, every, every bank now gives out your free credit score. So I met the product manager from CreditWise at Capital One. And CreditWise is the Credit Karma competitor as part of Capital One. And I was having an SEO conversation with this product manager. And he says to me, like, how can, how do we get SEO visibility? How do we get links? And I, I was like flabbergasted. I said, you are a Federal Reserve registered bank. You're one of the handfuls of Federal Reserve registered banks. Links shouldn't be a problem. Visibility shouldn't be a problem, but it was. And that was, that was an interesting insight to me in working at big companies that all the innovations that he wanted to do to make a Credit Karma-like product, he couldn't because he was at a big company, couldn't make his own pages, despite the fact that they had backlinks from the Federal Reserve and every media property in the world, he couldn't flow that to a product that could effectively compete against a startup like Credit Karma. Yeah. It all comes full circle. It's like, you know, you need a good product and you know, that 
I, I believe with what your book, um, um, what's the word, like kind of educates people. It's like think product first and SEO second, and the SEO could actually be more beneficial with a product-led mentality. Exactly. You want to, and, and when I say product in the book, I'm not referring to like, it has to be like some tangible asset. It's just something that is useful to a user rather than, you know, and this is the worst, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit, but AI content. So when people use AI to write content, they're just thinking of how do I feed garbage to a search engine, which will accidentally trick a user into showing up my, my website. And then I'll hopefully try to get them to hit my call to action and they'll generate some revenue. Product is really, what does the user need here? Like are you selling e-commerce, the user wants the product. They want the physical product. So like, how do you create that digital marketing experience that brings them to the point of the product showing up on their doorstep? Not of like, I wrote some garbage content and then I had an ad and then they clicked the ad and then they went to Amazon and I got a piece of action. So that's what product really means. It's building something for a user that benefits the user. Yeah. It's uh, basically, you know, we've gone from the age of exchange of information, which is your standard SEO. And it's, we're kind of, we should be in the age of exchange of value, but I think there's a lot of people that they don't put that value mindset on of going, how is this going to benefit a user? And can we build a product for users first and then, you know, make the, the marketing secondary? Absolutely. Yeah. Big mistake. And I, I think that people are being educated about this now as the tactics change. When what used to work no longer works and they have to go back to drawing work. What's interesting that I, I, I talk to many, many companies that are being impacted by the way that the search engines are now focusing on content. What's interesting is many of them are trying to figure out how to get back to where they were instead of realizing that you can't go back there. The world has changed. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, you know, if people are going to build affiliate sites that they should have more of like a bottom of funnel might than top of funnel in the sense that, you know, your top of funnel could be like, what is affiliate marketing? And that's so generic that even if you could rank for it, you're probably not gonna, for the competition. And those are things that maybe, you know, uh, SGE could answer for you. So do you think maybe we're going to move more into, you know, I have a very specific deep question that's more bottom of funnel and. I'm not going to get an AI answer. Maybe people should focus more on content in that regard. Yeah, I, I really think so. And I, I think that the affiliate marketers I've met have been some of the most creative people. Even when they come up with black hat things to do, they're creative. They've identified some way to get around something. So I think the affiliate marketers that don't want short-lived experiences that are black hat, that want to provide value for the users, they need to think of how do they create that middle ground between what the brand can't do and what the, the user wants. So if you're an affiliate for a product, you're, you're filling in a gap. The, the brand itself does not have a good marketing team. They are not good at digital marketing. They don't know SEO. They don't know paid marketing. They don't know social marketing. So that's where the affiliate can say, this is my angle and I can do this better. It's not like I'm going to do this at the expense of them because I'm more creative and I'm sneakier than them. So I think the affiliates that really think of how they build a, a good experience, that's where the value is. Like NerdWallet, they're an affiliate site. Credit Karma we talked about, they're an affiliate site. Red Ventures is basically a company that has built really good emotional content around affiliate offerings. Like being an affiliate is not a bad thing whatsoever. I think they're the most amazing value adds to the internet for that the brands themselves can't do. 
And that's the way affiliates should approach it. It was like, how do I add the value there rather than how do I get a piece of the action because they can't. Yeah. One thing that I've been noticing of looking at just affiliates that have like a hundred plus people in their company. So they're, they're growing massive sites like nerd wallet. And I keep seeing, like, I like looking at their LinkedIn profiles and go, what kind of people are they hiring? And I'm seeing more like head of product, uh, product designer, product keywords. Um, is this something that you're noticing as well as what kind of differentiates the, the, the midsize affiliates versus the, the ones that, you know, go for, you know, the top of the food chain. I haven't seen that specifically in job descriptions. It's not something I've looked in deeply, but I, I do see it around digital marketers, like what kind of digital marketers join these kinds of companies. And I think that they're hiring a higher tier because they're looking at, again, building that better experience. Like I, I know great people at NerdWallet. Those are great SEO people. I know great people at Red Ventures. They have a fantastic SEO team rather than like, this is about a a low margin business that we're just trying to scrape by at the benefit of the brands that can't do it. So therefore we'll find the lowest cost way to do it. We'll, we'll offshore or something. No, they're, they're hiring the best to create a better experience that the brands themselves can't do. I agree. I listened to your interview with, uh, I think it was Nate Matherson and you said like Amazon tends to do like a product led SEO approach. And I wanted to get your take of why do you, why, why would you say Amazon is more product-led compared to their competitors like Walmart. Um, you know, I'm forgetting like, you know, all the other like um, ones that, you know, Amazon at the top. Yeah. So I, I love showing this comparison between Amazon and, and their competitors, their e-commerce competitors. Because Amazon doesn't make anything. Well, they, they used to not. But Amazon, they, they're just selling the same things that Best Buy, Target, Walmart, any, any e-commerce site can sell. And a lot of times it's even being drop shipped directly from the manufacturer. So where a lot of those other sites focused, and I know specifically around Walmart. So the way Walmart did SEO about 10 years ago was they took the product descriptions that came from the manufacturers. And then, you know, they approached their, their, uh, their architecture of their site in a standard e-commerce way, which is how do we just architect a way to like have categories, have products and like have people check out just standard. And they, and they looked at their SEO edge as content. Like how do you inject better content into these product pages? So they would take the product descriptions that came from the manufacturer and fatten them and put more keywords in them and try to improve the title tag. So it's not just the, the name of the product. Amazon didn't do that whatsoever. What Amazon did was they figured out how to create an amazing architecture to show products, to enrich pages from a programmatic standpoint. And they don't write any content on the product pages. They don't write any content on the category pages. So their SEO efforts were all around technical and product led pieces. So how do they inject, let's say videos as reviews onto the product page? How do they pull in related products to create that better experience? So by building in related products, they're not just trying to get you to buy something. Those are also internal links. So that benefits those related products. How do they pull in Q and A? Q and A is great deep content. I know when I'm debating over expensive things where I'm curious and you Google like those expensive things or questions around it, you find the Q and A on the Amazon page. That's great content. That's all UGC. So that's what Amazon invested. They invested in that architecture. Then you just say like, well, it's just e-commerce. We'll just nest it out. And then we'll inject content manually, which is what Ken Walmart did. And I know Target does the same and Macy's does the same. Amazon's all about technical, highest lift, highest scale. And the benefit there is 
when new things are launched. So Amazon's been around you know, a couple decades with their e-commerce site. And when new products are launched, so they, let's say the latest iPhone or the latest Samsung Galaxy, they don't need to say, oh, our old Samsung Galaxy page is useless. Now we need to write new content for the new one. All they, what Amazon did is they built really good SEO architecture. So no matter what, that SEO architecture just bleeds into the next thing. Like let's say the, um, the Apple Vision, that's not something anybody conceived when they set up the architecture for Amazon, but the Apple Vision is now going to benefit from all the innovations that they have in the product and the, the product landing pages that every other page has had from the beginning of time. I want to ask uh, maybe a, a question that's uh, similar to topic. How would you do something that, that make, like, let's say an affiliate site more, more product led in the sense that you're doing something a bit more than Q and A, because I mean, user generated content, that's, that's great. But I mean, there is, do you have more ideas of what, what people can do? So I, I think user-generated content is, is one easy lift if you have users. What happens is a lot of times there aren't users and they, there's a good feedback. So the, I mean, it's not content, but if there is a, a, a product that there's an affiliate site that is promoting, if there's a way to add more color and add more details around that product by actually physically having it and writing about the texture, that's not something like that, how it feels, that's new. Or showing more imagery, showing videos, showing the experiences, like that's all adding to it and saying, we're not just like linking off to the page, we're adding something that no other site is doing because this is our unique approach to it. So always focus on like, what's the unique piece that you're adding to this entire purchase cycle? Um, my next question is, how would you add or suggest to do programmatic SEO for an affiliate site? And maybe just as a, as a context to just explain quickly what programmatic SEO is. So programmatic SEO is essentially doing what, what, uh, what Amazon does, which is they're taking building blocks to create pages and to create content without manually writing it. So a building block for an Amazon page is they may pull in uh, Q and a, they may pull in videos. They may pull in, this is not something Amazon does, but like other e-commerce sites do it, like sentiment around the web, like pull in social media or something like that. So these are building blocks to make a better page and to add better experiences. In my book and for the American listeners out there, I talk about Zillow, which is Zillow is also an affiliate site. So they were an affiliate site. Obviously they pivoted away from that as they do their own uh, buying and lending and all that. But Zillow is a site that has the address of every single American residential property. So hundreds of millions of properties. And what they did was they, they have the pricing information, they have the the pictures, they have the neighborhood information, all that entire page is built off of programmatic and different data sets. No one's going in and writing content around one, two, three main street. They're pulling in pricing information from the government. They're pulling in neighborhood information from different data sets. And that's how they construct the page. So that's programmatic. So were Zillow to want to launch in Canada or launch in Mexico, they wouldn't now have to go and build out each address. They would just find the data sets that were relevant for those pages and build out that page. So that's a programmaticist. So for an affiliate that's doing programmatic, an affiliate could just, again, take the product and uh, pull in, find available data sets. There's a, like a Reddit subreddit of big data where you can find APIs and ways you can pull in data. If it's affiliate products, you can pull in government information. If you're, I mean, this pharmaceuticals, if there's pharmaceuticals, you can pull in side effects to 
competitor pharmaceuticals or competitor vitamins. So that's a programmatic thing where you're enriching the page saying, take this vitamin because that other vitamin will make you sick. So you're not writing the content manually. You're pulling in information. That's how you build programmatic. So this thinking, the more programmatic you add to a page, the more data sets you add, the more original it is, not just for Google, but for the user, because you've created this merged page of new information. And would you say that, you know, when you have this uh, product mentality of like, you know, sites like NerdWallet, Credit Karma, I mean, even going straight back to Amazon, would you say these are perfect opportunities that when you build this useful feature, it blends well, or it's a perfect complement for programmatic as yeah, absolutely. As long as you're focused on the user. So programmatic is not an end state. Programmatic is a tool to achieve product-led SEO. Right. So don't do programmatic for the sake of SEO. Do it for the user first, and then the SEO benefit will likely come second. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example where people just mess up programmatic, which is in the United States and in Canada and anywhere else that uses a zip code. If you're doing something local-based, you can build a programmatic page for every zip code. So you get, what is the zip code that represents these towns and these streets? So now you can say, here's a new page, pages slash zip code. And then on the page, you can have the towns, but it's not useful to people. So say it's, uh, you're um, building a moving affiliate site. So zip codes are not useful. Most people are going to look for movers based on their metro area. So at creating, you know, hundred pages out of New York city as your metro area is not useful. And it's just straight span. But if there's other ways to make it useful, let's say if you're doing a moving site, this is relevant for anyone that's visited New York, not all streets in New York are easy for moving trucks to drive down. So that's where you could add value and you could say one layer of, let's say, Google Maps or Google Earth to show like what the streets are like and say for moving, you want to get this kind of moving truck. You can only get um, you know, a long one or a short one or you need a container or you need a U-Haul. That's where you're enriching it and making it useful for users. And the end state is I've just given you information about what kind of truck you need. Now use me to get that truck. Um, in that previous podcast, you said yes to generative AI for uh, producing content. Um, could you elaborate on that in the best ways of doing it and how some people and affiliates actually do it wrong? Most people do it wrong because most people are looking at it as a way to shortcut a, a manual process. I think generative AI is great for building product descriptions. I think generative AI is great for writing content outlines. The way you're doing it, people do it wrong is if you just, you use it and then you launch it. It has to be edited. The generative AI is replacing offshore cheap content writers, which is what everyone did before ChatGPT was thrown onto the world. No one was, you know, paying someone in, you know, Western country, hundreds of dollars an hour to write product descriptions. If they needed to be manually written, they usually went somewhere where it's very cheap and they paid per word or per letter or however they paid. And it was pretty cheap. Generative AI is basically the automated version of that. So it shouldn't be used for anything more than that. It could be used for ideating, it could be used for editing, but I don't think it should be used to create the end state. Like keeping the user in mind, why should the user go to a website to read what was pulled out of generative AI when they could just go to ChatGPT or Bard or Perplexity or wherever they go to answer themselves? Makes sense. Uh, they are like characteristics or things that excite you that are new in the SEO space. I, th I think the newest thing is really generative AI. And, and I don't think of it as like, as a, you know, what excites me is the fact that it's going to cause a lot of people to take shortcuts and do bad SEO. And they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of SEO algorithms. 
and they're going to need to pivot and do something more interesting, which I have always advocated to be product-led SEO. So obviously in my book, I don't talk about generative AI because it didn't exist, but I think there will be a strong, healthy pivot towards building something beneficial for users. So whether Google launches SGE, which is their generative AI within Google or not, it doesn't matter because generative is here to stay. So people may go to, to uh, you know, Bard or they may go to ChatGPT to get answers. That changes the search funnel. That changes the buyer's journey. So I think you can't just create content for the sake of content. For the last decade, that's what everyone's been doing for SEO. What's your SEO plan? I don't know, 100 pieces of content a month. And I don't think that's the answer anymore. You need to be more user-centric, more creative about how you go to market with an SEO strategy. Um, I got a question that just kind of came to mind. Um, what would you do if you're building an affiliate site and let's pretend it's land-based casinos and you had your own data sets that aren't published anywhere. So you not only had the casinos and the addresses of them, but you did some research and let's say you actually got the number of games, the number of slots, and let's pretend this actually doesn't exist. What would you do with that data itself for publishing it on the website? And how would you also take that data and maybe produce um, like automated content through that? It's a fantastic question because it really gives us the chance to pivot into like what product-led SEO is and what user centricity means. So this is a, this is a data set that exists and that's unique. Now, how is it beneficial for users? At what point does a user want to know this sort of information? And that's how you extract the data. So you could just make a page that says name of casino, name of or address of casino, and then here's information about it. That's like Google, my business plus, right? Like you're helping, you're doing something more rich there, but, but that's not useful for a user unless they, their entry point to that is the name of the casino or the address of the casino. What is useful is to really dial back and say, why would a user want to know this? Maybe there's a user that wants to know where the best, um, these lucky cat machines, right? <laughs> where, where the, where's the best casino to, that has, you know, 80 lucky cat machines in the state of Oklahoma. So if, if we know that that is a query, so now you're building category pages around lucky cat machines. Um, I think that's the thing, right? Yeah. So what, whatever it is, and, and so when you understand what the user wants, that's how you're constructing it. So you're extracting the data from the data set, but you're building around a user's question that didn't already exist. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll give another example of a client I once worked with, and they approached SEO from the complete wrong way with just using a data set. So they were in the market of distributing birth control pills, uh, doing mail order birth control pills. And the way they approached SEO and my, my role in this was just auditing the fact that their SEO wasn't working and identify this for them. The way they approached SEO was they uh, took available information about birth control pills and then they published it on their website. What I showed them was that the available information about birth control pills was mostly side effects and source information of these birth control pills. If you knew the name of the pill, that means someone else told you the name and now you're Googling it. So you actually already had a prescription in hand and a way of getting that prescription. You weren't in the market to find a way to get the prescription, you already got it. So in order to do SEO for something like that, just because there was, a, and they took, it was government data, just because information existed doesn't mean that's what you should publicize. So they needed to approach SEO. What we did was approach SEO from a completely different angle, which is 
I don't have a way of getting these birth control pills delivered. I don't have a doctor. I don't know which pill to get. That's where they can step in and answer all those questions. So just because data exists doesn't mean your angle is making it public. You want to find how does it benefit users and use that to answer those questions with your data. Interesting. I've got some notes uh, here and some of, some of these questions are somewhat self-serving as I'm trying to build uh, you know, data sets as we chatted before. Um, I want to uh, jump topics and talk about like the SEO space itself. And something that I've struggled with is trying to find an SEO that I could trust, use myself and also recommend to, to friends. So I think there's always been this, um, you know, stories about people like, you know, paying, you know, 10 grand a month for an SEO, and then they do things like buy links on Fiverr. Like I've seen this happen over and over again. Uh, how would you uh, advise someone to properly, you know, find the right SEO consultant when there's a pretty good chance that they don't really know SEO or what's what they, they don't know what they need and they don't know how to maybe qualify um, what a good SEO is. It's a terrible question because I want to make people mad at me. <laughs> I, I don't think that people necessarily need SEO consultants as much as they do. The, the problem with SEO is that it, Google and the SEO industry have declared it to be a black box. So therefore you can't share much about it. So I'm just here to shape this black box for you. And I don't think it's like that. I actually think there's way less black box than anyone thinks. It should be very clear. Like, what do you want an SEO consultant to do? You want an SEO consultant to identify how you should build your pages. Well, then you pay them. If they tell you how to do it, that's a good engagement. If they don't, that was a bad engagement. Buying links. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, but that is what I would hire an SEO consultant to do to get me those links. Give them three months. If the links they've gotten you don't move the needle, that wasn't a good effort. Obviously you want to get the right recommendations, but I think it shouldn't be this black box of like, I need a magician and that's going to use do magic. And in six months, hopefully the magic works. I think it can be broken down the same way any other marketing initiative is done, which is I need someone to buy traffic for me on, on Instagram. Do you buy traffic? Yes, I see the traffic being bought. I see my reports. Did it convert? If it didn't convert, not a good consultant. Again, SEO should be the same thing with smaller bites of not, oh, this takes a year to work out. I happen, when I engage with new clients, I happen to tell them it'll probably take a year before they really see results. But up until that point, there's many milestones. And the reason it takes a year to see results when I do work with them is usually because it takes us three to six months before we've even built product-led SEO. And then, but I, I won't hide behind, oh, well, we built it. Now Google needs six months. No, within two weeks of launching something, we should see early signals that it's going somewhere. It'll take a year before we can say this was a good initiative, but there's always going to be milestones in it. Just like you, I meet people all the time. We are like, well, I paid 10 grand a month and with a year and I asked what they did, but the black box here is a report, whatever. No, that it shouldn't be like that. The same, it, this should be the same as any other marketing initiative, milestones, very specific reports, transparency, set objectives at the beginning. And, and, and it should be as effective as any other channel. And as someone who's obviously written the book, product led SEO, I want to ask you specifically, what are some of your best uh, business books that you want to recommend and you could even go out of the way and say like, you know, what other books, maybe if they're nothing business related that you enjoy reading. So I really like this book. I'm in the middle of, I, I haven't finished it yet, but it's called the company of one. 
And it's about, and this is the way I approach my own consulting, but really about like, how do I be my own company and, and not have to create an agency? So I get all the time, whenever I get unsolicited business advice, you're like, oh, you're an SEO consultant. You should definitely make an SEO agency. But those are two different things. Being an SEO agency means I'm managing a team. I'm doing sales. I like what I'm doing. I like working directly with companies. And I discovered this book, this company of one, which is precisely that to build people around you and not have to build a company just because you can. I also like million dollar consultant in the same vein. So, uh, Alan Weiss, who actually uh, worked with it a little bit as a coach, he is fantastic. He'd been consulting for the last 50 years, I think, and he published, uh, the sixth version of this book, million dollar consultant, he published the first one in the late nineties. And then, uh, never split the difference. So that's a, a negotiation book. It's amazing. I, it, it is, but I, I recently <laughs> met someone who was the first person that told me he didn't trust the book, which is, I'm not going to say the school cause I don't want to give him away, but he is a negotiation professor at one of the top three business schools in the world. I asked him what he thought about it and he said, oh, it's a joke. You can't, can't approach every negotiation as if it's a hostage negotiation. So <laughs> different perspective. Uh, yep. successfully teaches negotiation to people who negotiate massive deals. So thought that was kind of interesting. Didn't get to dig into that much, but I you know, posed a couple of questions and I saw yep. a different outlook to how to do negotiation rather than let's make sure we walk home with the hostage and the money, <laughs> which is kind of important, but that's uh, a whole other story. Yes, exactly. And then last to wrap things up, uh, what do you see of the future of affiliate marketing as it sex with businesses? I think affiliate marketing is going to go through a transformation for so many reasons. I mean, you know them more than me, but like digital marketing is changing with privacy. It, it's uh, impacting uh, Meta's business. It's impacting anybody in advertising business. Google is changing because generative AI and obviously privacy. So affiliate marketing has to do something different than it's ever done. And I think it'll be fascinating. I think business intelligence will allow them to do the thing like, you know, I don't, I don't know where it will go specifically, but it will allow them to do the things that the companies themselves can't do and add value in a way that they have not been able to before. Companies I find, and then, you know, bigger brands for sure, uh, will, will suffer from, you know, they need to hire someone and it takes a really long time to hire someone. And that person ends up not being the most creative. They just, cause they need to get through this interview panel. And the interview panel for like getting through that might mean you went to a good school and you did all the right things and, you know, maybe a little bit less creative, not that you know, people at big companies are, are terrible, but those aren't the scrappiest. I always find the scrappiest are the entrepreneurs. So that that's an area where affiliates can add value. And then the same goes with smaller, smaller brands, which just don't have marketing teams around them. So affiliates can be that marketing team. And I think that's where this, we're looking at this interesting future where there will be more creativity, there will be more data, and there will be more advantages the smartest will take advantage of. Yeah, I think to summarize some of the things that you've talked about today are, you know, creative affiliates that are innovating, um, the concept of just creating value and thinking from a value first uh, mindset. And I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with product where, you know, I said on my side, I noticed uh, the bigger affiliates are going deeper into product than, you know, I can only share my experience of, Hiring, um, you know, designing that is process and, um, you know, it's changed my outlook of, you know, what design is it's, you got graphic design, you have UX and UI, and then product is like, 
well, what does the user need? And I think, uh, I think there's just too many people that for some reason, it sounds simple as hell, but I think you see most people not doing this properly. Yeah. It, and it, I mean, certainly with SEO is like, look, the way everyone jumped on generative AI is like, oh, well, this is, this is a great way to just cut out content. I'm just going to throw out a bunch of content. I think generative AI obviously is going to change everything, but I, I can't see a world where you, you know, you allow generative, we all tried it, let generative AI write a script for you, a script of a movie. It can, right? But I can't see a world where it wins an Oscar just because you prompt it to write an Oscar-winning script. You need a lot that goes into that. And that, of course, it changes. So a writer, one of the writers went on strike last year because they thought Jennifer Vale would replace them. Their jobs are just changing. So now the writers might you know, give a prompt and say, come up with an interesting character and then continue prompting. So maybe they write a little bit less, but creativity still exists. So seeing the way so many marketers jumped on generative AI is like, oh, now I can just not do my job. Users at the end of that will not enjoy that. Like I'm not going to enjoy you know, generative AI content. It's not interesting. Most of the time you can tell. So now you need to do something different. And that's where the most creative are going to rise above the pack. Great. Um, Eli, this was uh, amazing. I uh, just want to give uh, one last chance for you to shout out about your book and how people can get a hold of you and any other uh, sites you have that uh, we should mention. Yeah, so definitely check out my book. Uh, I wrote the book not to be obsolete because I focus on SEO from a user perspective. Obviously, I don't have any tips on generative AI in my book that came out two years ago, but it's still relevant because you're still focused on users. It's just a different way of, of you know, approaching search and approaching users. My newsletter is is uh, on Substack, so productledseo.substack. And of course, find me on LinkedIn. Okay, that's great. And uh, yeah, I can say that your book is, I would call it timeless. I would call it timeless, but relevant today. And I know it's going to be relevant tomorrow, uh, one, two years in the future. Probably you don't have to actually put any of the, the AI stuff there. It's focus on value and uh, the users will follow. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in to the Affiliate BI Podcast. I'd like to take this time to ask for a small favor to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us expand our reach to rank higher in podcast directories and reach more listeners.